Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of One Vision. Now, this week we are going to try to do something different, shake it up a little bit. So, I have enlisted my good friend Danielle Goldsman, who will be co-hosting the show with me today. And joining us all the way from Hong Kong is also a mutual friend, Diana Wu David. Diana is a former Financial Times executive, author of Future Proof. Reinventing work in an age of acceleration, and also an adjunct professor at the Columbia Business School's EMBA Global Asia. Welcome to the show, Diana. Thank you, Theo. It's so great to be here. I am so looking forward to this because Diana, you and I got connected, of all things, via LinkedIn, and thanks to Daniel here. So before we start, can you tell our audience a little bit about? Your personal journey. How did you end up in Hong Kong, my favorite city of all places? And how did you and Danielle meet? Well, I'll start with Danielle. We met, I guess, on a tweet chat. It was. I feel like it's the modern equivalent of actually going to a party, since we don't always do that anymore.、Um, I was acquainted through、uh, Walter Jennings, who's who is the Global head of influencers, I think, at Huawei in China, and he said, "You have to meet Danielle. You have to meet、um, this group of influencers on the future of work that I know." And、uh, I went to do a, a conversation over Twitter and loved Danielle's. I would say Danielle's voice and her content, but also just her personality. She's such a giver and so wonderful, and so we've been. Um, in the same online sphere, I would say, and chase each other and have conversations all over social media ever since. And、um, so it's wonderful to be here and and have a chat with you, Danielle. Likewise, Diana, and it's it's amazing. I mean, pandemic or not, we've always, or at least I've always. Truly valued the、um, way we can connect across the globe through social media. In the past two years, has only kind of really emphasized that in a much more dramatic way. But to think that we've never met in real life, but I feel like, and similarly with you, Theo, we finally met in real life. But prior to that, we both went on some really exciting journeys of collaborations and learning,、um, and further networking as well. Um, which really demonstrates kind of the power of the possibility if you're if you're open to it. So I'm thrilled to have this opportunity to join you, Diana, for this conversation together with Theo. And you introduced me to Theo when she launched her book and、uh, Beyond Good. And so I had Theo come and give a masterclass、uh, at my Future Proof community. And it was fun. I've lived in Hong Kong for two decades, but I'm originally American. And I found out that Theo actually was born and grew up in Hong Kong. So it's it's kind of this fun,、um, you know, round robin, and the world can seem really small.、Uh, at the same time, it's so interesting to have the multiple perspectives around the world because I remember in February.、Um, I can't even remember what what year it is. It's they're all blurring together. But I remember it was talking about、um, on a podcast about China's 
big work from home experiment during the pandemic and how it was inconceivable that one country, the entire country of China could be working from home. And then, you know, fast forward a couple of months, the entire world was working from home. So I think it is really fascinating to convene and have these conversations because you can learn a lot from, you know, the different pockets and, and how people are grappling with it in different countries and different cultures in different ways. Absolutely. And I love the way you connected with Theo digitally and then brought Theo in to speak in one of your um, classes around future proof. And I believe future proof is kind of the main theme of the work that you do, which would be great to hear a little bit more about and maybe specifically kind of in the context of where we are today. What is the hardest part now about building a plan for the future? So my experience, my background has always been in corporate innovation. I've been a consultant, I've been, I've worked in venture capital and um, worked as somebody heading up profit and loss, always thinking about the future. And so my whole life, as I connect the dots backwards, um, is, has been thinking about, okay, how can we disrupt ourselves as a company? Um, and then when I left my corporate job at Financial Times in 2016, um, where I still teach at the exec ed program, the board director program that I started for them, there were so many people who said, okay, how do you disrupt yourself? <laughs> and, and how can I do it too? Um, and so I consider my you know, career has been in corporate innovation and and since 2016 has really been applying some of those ideas to careers. Uh, and future-proofing is about finding your place in the future. And I think people have a lot of anxiety about that. So developing both the tools and frameworks and practices, but even more important, the community of practice, bringing people together um, to think about how they can um find their place in the future which to me which is why i was so interested in theo's work um, and to a lot of the people in my community is how can i go from just a focus on success to a focus on significance and having a greater impact I love the focus on success to focus on significance. Um, that, that's a big, big pivot. And when we think about just leaders, you're talking a lot about how do we disrupt ourselves? I, I don't know about you, Theo. Um, a lot of what I read tends to really be emphasizing employees more than leaders. And it would be great to get your perspective, Diana, on when we think of our senior executives and the need for them to shift from kind of traditional leadership to a modern approach to leadership in this new world of work, what advice would you give to these senior executives to help them find their places of significance? Well, you can see in the great resignation and the conversation about people leaving that pe people are looking for meaningful work. And it's a fundamental shift for leaders to think about not just you know how can i lead this company and 
and craft division and, and have everybody do their part to connecting people's individual purpose, even helping to cultivate people's individual purpose in a way that can then sync with the larger purpose, the larger company purpose. And I feel like with the advent of ESG, um, you know, and a focus on, on really the world's biggest problems, poverty, climate change, et cetera, that it can't just even be the company's purpose. It's grounded in the context of our larger, you know, the biggest problems we have to solve as society. Um, so that's the leadership bit that is a mindset shift that I see when done right can lead to extraordinary success. Um, not easy, <laughs> still hard, but but certainly more successful in terms of both the, the success of the company, depending on how you measure that, but also the fulfillment of the person leading as well, you know, and, and it starts with that individual and tapping into their own purpose and their values-based leadership before they can go off and do that for other people. You know, Diane, you reminded me of something Danielle just posted, which she does tremendous work on on LinkedIn every single day. I look and see, you know, what did Danielle post today? She talking about, <laughs> and it's it's so inspirational. So for our listeners, please do make sure you do um, look at Diana's um, social profile as well as Danielle's, and just make it a habit, do it in the morning. Um, I guarantee you that will start your morning right, along with your tea or coffee, whichever your poison is. But Danielle, you you posted something similar to what Diana just talked about too, purpose, right? How do we, how do we help employees find purpose? And then take it one step further, how can then we as an organization and as well as leaders approach life find purpose in the work that we do, find purpose in the organization that we lead. And, and Diana, you, you mentioned a good point. There's a lot going on, right? If we look at the megatrons around us, and Danielle, I borrowed this word from you because you guys use megatrons in your reports quite a bit. Um, we looked at people living longer, right? Increased longevity. That can be a challenge, but also an opportunity. We look at the future of work, how people are earning an income that's different gig workers, freelancers, having the flexibility to choose what you want to do and when you want to work. But at the same time, challenge of perhaps a little bit more uncertainty in how we conduct ourselves. And then inequality, right? That's a trend that we've been beating it for the last two years and how the world has gotten more unequal, especially for women, um, around great resonation with talking about women taking a step back from their work, all of that. So, Dinah, if, if one were to ask you, looking at everything that is around us, doesn't matter if we're in North America or in Asia, whatever corner of the world we're in, wh what are we supposed to do? Doesn't it, like, at times feel overwhelming? You just basically set the entire thesis of my of my work. <laughs> it was sort of, uh, 
what am I going to do? So I wrote Future Proof because I had, I don't know, so 80 coffees one after the other with people saying almost the identical conversation, you know, and often people in senior leadership roles, because that's who I was teaching, they were all planning to be or were board directors. And they were saying, you know, there's, I'm going to live longer. I have um, invested, I've done everything right. I've done, um, you know, tried to get good grades and go to the school and do the linear path. And here I am, and I'm 55. And, you know, retirement age at my company is 60. I feel like I have 20 years, and I have no idea what to do. And, and then I look at gig work, what is this stuff? And I look at um, remote work and um, longevity. So, you know, to, just to bring it down to a very specific level, what I found on an individual level, which in, basically inspired me to expand my work to a community of people who was struggling with these exact questions, um, it's somebody who is 50 years old, who's looking out at 20 years of, of more work, <laughs> who is, you know, really thinking like, not just, oh, I should work and must work because, you know, I'm, I might live to be 100 and I need to sort of fund that, which I never anticipated. But it's also about how can I contribute? Like I, I got <laughs> gas in the tank and I'm excited. Um, and I've been doing a lot of the, the things that I'm supposed to do. But now, in a way, it's like, I'm going to live life for me. And I don't say that in the sense of, you know, some people go, okay, I'm going to go, you know, I don't know, do all the things that I want to do. But that doesn't last for long. People really want to contribute. People want to understand it when, when they have the opportunity. Um, you know, what are the things that they might um, be able to contribute and how, which for me, the future of work makes possible. And that was my own very personal realization, leaving my corporate job, starting a portfolio career and being able to frankly be anywhere, even in 2016, 17, digitally enabled, you know, being on boards, being able to um, write and come together with people and service my clients um, in a way that probably wasn't possible 10 years prior to that, and which is even more possible now because of the pandemic and remote work. So that's, I see it as a sort of magic portal to living a fulfilled life. And on the corporate side, I think that some enlightened companies are seeing that too that oh my gosh we have so many more opportunities here we have to invest a lot of time in building our ecosystem of you know gig workers or community members or alumni or whatever it is but if they can spend the time and invest in this kind of planning for what the future of work could look like then they have a huge opportunity um, to have more people better engaged and even expand their definition of who and you know quote unquote employee is, which I think is super exciting.
It's interesting. As you're talking, I'm just kind of thinking to myself, these are massive, massive operational shifts, especially when we think about it from an organizational perspective. You, you talked a little bit about just the gig economy and just the way that transforms the way you traditionally think of an employee. Um, and then you talked about kind of this shift from a long-term traditional career to all these career experiences, which has us thinking less along the lines of jobs and more along the lines of skills and, and transferable skills that enable someone to move into different experiences well beyond, I guess, the traditional age of retirement. And all of this kind of has me thinking back to the comment that Theo made about the great resignation. Um, and we've heard it named so many different things, you know, the great resignation, the great renegotiation, the great reimagination, the great redesign. Uh, I tend to always err to the positive and look for the ways that we're finding opportunity in the um, events and the way that the pandemic has enabled us to actually accelerate trends that were already underway. But when we think about that and how many different, I guess, mega trends are driving this, what is your recommendation or maybe some of the things that come to mind that organizations should be thinking about as they embrace this shift and really, as you say, become enlightened companies? This reminds me a lot of the early days of digital transformation where big companies were thinking, uh, what are we going to do? So I spent a lot of my career in media and um, Clayton Christensen in the Innovator's Dilemma talks about how you know big companies will be disrupted by these small, nimble companies. Uh, so you know, start your own little skunk works. Um, so the New York Times, for instance, had its own digital, you know, very separate digital website team that did NewYorkTimes.com. Um, and you can see this happening in talent. I feel like the parallel is that the larger company is often continuing to do things in, in their usual way, because at the end of the day, there's processes in place. I worked for Financial Times. There's huge processes in place to put out the newspaper and the website and that kind of thing. But there are also smaller, um, either sprints or or almost um, pockets of innovation in terms of working. So um, I just noticed, and I'm, I think it's um, Citibank. I'm embarrassed to say, I'm, I, I can't quite remember the, the name, but there's a, a bank that has now a um, small team that is not in the city, not in headquarters, that is just there to do um, new a new way to work, which is it's you go for a two-year contract, and maybe Danielle, you can remember the the example. But um, you, they're trying to recruit a completely new way to work. You don't go on the investment banking track. You go there. Um, you don't have to necessarily have the MBA. You go there for two years. It's it's like in Portugal or something. <laughs> it's not in <laughs> on Wall Street or whatever. You know the the different centers are and they are experimenting they're saying you know what let's have a small group that does work the way we think we might like to work in 10 years and so that i think is a really interesting concept the idea of pilots 
um, that people can try and get a sense of, you know, how different parts of their organization will work. It doesn't have to be all centralized and hierarchical. Um, you really can experiment. I was going to say, this reminds me so much of the post you shared. I feel it was sometime this weekend, Diana, talking about failures. And basically, in order for us to break out of our current, quote unquote, comfort zone as individuals or organizations, we have got to push beyond what we know. And that was really what you were talking about on LinkedIn. And it's not to be embarrassed by it. And that that is our greatest source of learning. And so organizations that are really embracing that, I think, are the ones that are going to thrive. Um, and the other ones, are, unfortunately, are eventually going to dive if they don't start to think differently. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's interesting, though, Diana, I don't know if you see the same in, in Hong Kong um, from a culture perspective, but in New York, for example, Danielle, we see different, um, and, and I remember you and I talked about this, we see different organizations saying, you know, we're not going to return back to Wall Street, or we're not going to bring everyone back to Wall Street, we're going to do this, you know, half and half or three days, um, satellite office, and if you will. But then we also see I'm not going to name names, a very traditional institution that basically say, no, everyone is coming back. End of story. No, no exception. Um, still trying to see exactly how that turns out. But their thesis is because most of their staff are younger in their 20s and they felt like you need that in-person environment for them to actually be able to learn from each other, to create that culture and to, to basically learn the art of the trade, if you will, in Wall Street. Um, what do you think about that? I'm curious to hear from both of you. Yeah, I think like our initial conversation about all of us meeting basically online and having collaborations, um, and, you know, so when you think about apprenticeship and I've spent so much time briefing clients and talking about, um, what, what might bring us into the office, which I think should be different than what used to bring us into the office. You know, I, I think we going into the office is amazing. I love, frankly, I love going in to see people, um, and I do think that there's something to the observations we have in our environment, like the physicality. I don't think that you can do everything on a Zoom screen. Um, but I also think that requiring people to go back into the office assumes that we're gonna go in and do um, and prepare people for exactly what we were doing before. Going into the office is not going to make you be a better virtual panelist. You know, it's not going <laughs> to. There's so many things that we now do, so many ways we collaborate that that it, it may detract from. So being able to to really capitalize on taking that step back um, and thinking about what are we, what is the work, who's doing the work. How are we doing the work? Who's leading the work? You know, all those questions 
I feel like it's a missed opportunity to just say, okay, great, we're going to go back because there are so many ways in which it's easier to experiment than it ever has been before um, because of technology, because of remote collaboration. You know, you because we have things like, you know, Google Docs or, or Microsoft Teams or with all these different, you know, Zoom, et cetera, where we don't have to be sitting around a table to, um, you know, be collaborating, collaborating on a document that, that saying we just have to go back and we all have to do it the way that we did seems to me like short-sighted like a control thing. <laughs>
Um, but those kind of collaborations, those events, even the thought behind, um, you know, how and why we bring people together, that can make work an absolute, you know, give you so much energy around your company and your brand and your mission and bringing people together. So I always think about it as if you were to invent work today, if nothing had ever happened before this time and you said, you know what, why don't we get together and work? What would that look like? And what would the office then look like? If you didn't have offices and you said, you know, what would be really useful is if we had a place where we could all come together. Now, what would that look like? It started out being a factory where we were all on the same conveyor belt, you know, line making our widgets, but um, it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. So having those kind of interesting um, conversations with my clients where we come into the room and all the different people in silos come in and we just start with, okay, what are we doing? And what might work look like if you just invented it today? Um, really frees up the imagination and also the that kind of duality you talked about, which is one person who's like, my comfort zone is you're all here. <laughs> and other people who are like, oh, well, actually I found that no, I can do the best work when I fit it in in between multiple, you know, taking my kid to school or going for a run in the middle of the day. I, I like that. I almost feel like taking out a, um, a whiteboard and, and start drawing because it. It's however we want to make it that will work for us. And if not now, then when? This is the perfect time for us to reimagine, like you say, what work looks like, what is work, what does the future workplace look like, and how can we accommodate the needs of people, but also the creativity of everyone around us now that we break the mode. Let's create something new, like Lego blocks. Um, I, I love this conversation, but before we go, Diana, I, I must ask you if people want to find out more about your book, Future Proof, or and also the work that you do. Where's the best place for them to go? Uh, they can go to dianawudavid.com for um, all of the topics and LinkedIn, of course. Diana Wu David, pretty much everywhere at this point, Telegram, Discord, <laughs> LinkedIn, Twitter, you know, uh, but I spend a lot of time with, with Danielle on LinkedIn, um, sharing some of my um, future scenarios and future plans and talks. And um, I would love to see people there. And we also have at dianawoodavid.com a how to prepare for the future. So that can be quite powerful for people who do feel overwhelmed, because I think that individuals have already started thinking about what that looks like, what their work looks like in the future. Um, and so many people said, so how can I start doing that? Um, and so it's literally just 11 questions to prepare you for the future. So hopefully that's helpful. 
Wonderful. Thank you so much, Diana, for joining us from Hong Kong. And I must thank my wonderful co-host, Danielle, for doing this with me today. Um, just watch it. I'm going to drag you back for another episode because this is loads of fun. Um, this is a perfect topic. And thank you so much, both ladies, um, for the wonderful conversation. And for our audience, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of One Vision. We will talk to you all next week.